The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Isaiah, the 26th chapter, beginning with verse 7. The path of the righteous is level. O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regard not the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Lord, you establish peace for us, and all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Then skipping to verse 20, this is Isaiah 26, verse 20. Go, my people, enter your rooms and shut the doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until his wrath has passed by. See, the Lord is coming out of his dwellings to punish the people of the earth for their sins. The earth will disclose the blood 
shed upon her, she will conceal her slain no longer. This is a time of judgment upon the world for the sin and the wickedness. And it is time for God's people to be careful what you do and where you go. That's wisdom, not fear. The woes of revelation are coming upon the earth. Judgments of God are upon us. It looks as though it's going to become much worse before it becomes better. I read about one family from New Jersey. The mother, a daughter, and a son, all three died of this virus. It is serious. And then, along with that, beyond and above the coronavirus, there is coming a very severe food shortage. And there is coming famine to America. It's already at the door. All of the food shortage that you see is not simply because people went out and bought the food. It's because the food chain has actually been broken. The shortage we see is simply because people bought it up quicker than was expected. But the shortage will still be there. The judgments of God are coming upon the world, but more specifically, they're coming upon America for the murder of more than 60 million babies. There are some things that God will not let go. He will not allow it to continue beyond his measure of mercy and grace. And then his judgments come. A man came to see me last night. He was earnestly desiring to find Jesus. The lights were all shut down, but he knocked on the front door. I said, come in, brother. Come in, let's talk and let's pray. He's caught in a cycle that many of you are caught in. It's a circular cycle. Repent, determine that you're going to follow Jesus, and then go right back into your sin. Until finally you say, Lord God, if you, if you can't save me, I can't save myself. It's hopeless. I'm finished. It's over. Well, it's not upon Jesus. He's already said what he wanted us to do. He's already told us that he will not forsake us or leave us. No, the problem is we have loved our sin. And we've made excuses for it. Because we have enjoyed the wickedness of the world. And the life of the world. The men have enjoyed their cigar smoking and their gambling And many other sins. Breaks my heart. My tears have flowed. For America. For sinners. Who are caught. In the cycle. And don't understand even how to pray. They don't understand that you have to take a stand and say, I'm done with this. I, I ground my sword. I'm not going to fight against Jesus anymore. I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
you lay down your life. And your life is over. And now you say, Lord, save me or I will die. And I put my trust in you. I put my faith in you. I'm going to obey you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. And you turn aside from the television. You turn aside from the entertainment of the world. You turn aside from all of the ambition and the searching after money. And you begin to eat the bread of life. I love this story. It's found in John, the sixth chapter. It's such a joyous story for me. Because in the midst of famine, in the midst of plague and pestilence, we have the bread of heaven. Jesus crossed over to the far side of the shore of Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he'd performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Jesus took his disciples into a very isolated place because in that place he wanted time for them to rest. And he wanted time to teach them and talk with them. While they're sitting there, talking, sharing with the Savior of the world, a great crowd had formed and was searching for them, coming through the the wilderness area where no one lived. And the Lord said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all of these people to eat? Now, Jesus only asked that to test him. He already knew in his mind what he was going to do. The Father had already given him instructions. But Philip answered him, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of us to have only a little bite. Peter could have woofed down everything they had and still been hungry. One of his disciples named Andrew, that was Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. He said, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Thousands of people are showing up. Five thousand men, probably another five thousand women and children. It was a crowd of at least 10,000 people out there in the wilderness. Jesus said, have the people all sit down. There was plenty of grass in that area. The men sat down, about 5,000 of them. This is verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves And he gave thanks. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, always in my mind, as I've thought about this incredible miracle of grace, I think about what would it have looked like in Jesus' hands to have taken a a barley loaf and broken it, and it was whole again, broken it, and it was whole again. That it was multiplied in his hands as he gave it to his disciples, and they took it out and and gave it to the people so that they could eat all that they wanted. There was no panic. There was plenty for everybody. Now, when they'd had all they wanted to eat, second, thirds, and fourths. His disciples, he said to them, now go and and gather up what they have not eaten. Gather up what I serve, but they didn't want. 
and they gathered twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves and also the fish. The people were astonished. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He walked away from the crowd. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. They got into a boat, and they set off across the lake for Capernaum, because that's where they were staying. But now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew very rough. When they'd rowed three or three and a half miles, they'd rowed all night. It was now early morning. They saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and the final miracle is that immediately the boat was at the shore where they'd been heading. Now the crowd began to search the next day for Jesus. They wanted to find Jesus. So they went in search. And finally they went to Capernaum. And when they found him, they asked him, When did you get here? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they said to him, What must we do to do the works of God, or the work God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What miraculous sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gives them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you the, the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who sits down, and comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us that bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and still you do not believe. This story is very troubling to me. Let me tell you why. They have had an incredible miracle, a sign. Uh, do you know what a sign is? It's something that points in the direction of. So where did the giving of the fish and the loaves of bread, where did that point? Well, it pointed to Jesus. It was a sign from heaven to say, look at the bread of life. They say, Look, Moses did an incredible miracle. There was, there was tons of manna. It fell every morning. Feeding us one time is nowhere near the miracle that Moses did. They don't understand. The manna was the bread of life. It was representing the Messiah that was to come. And now they have eaten the loaves and the fishes. And Jesus is saying, Look, I am the bread of life. Now that raises a question. 
What is it that you feast on? What is it that you like to eat? Of course, Jesus is speaking spiritually here. He's not speaking about pizza. He's not, he's not talking about a steak. He's speaking here about bread, which is the staff of life. And he's saying, I am that staff of life, and you need to eat me. You need to consume me. You need to take me into you. You need to believe in me. We're at a point in our history in America where we have been feasting on everything else, but not on Jesus. We've been filled with the entertainment of the age. We've gotten our satisfaction out of succeeding in our ambitions. It's hard for a man to work and work and work and not have his ambition fulfilled. We all have had dreams of what we would do and how we would do it. We've all had dreams about what we could accomplish for Jesus. Or we've had dreams about what we could accomplish for our family, the lifestyle we could afford them. We've had expectations. So we've gone to school, we've gone to high school, we've gone some to college, and some have gone on to grad school. Why? To prepare to fulfill your dreams. It's hard when those dreams are not fulfilled. And part of what happens when a man begins to get to his 50th year, he begins to review, because most men go for it hard in their 30s, and they figure, I either have to make it in my 40s, or it's finished, it's done. So by the time a man, not a woman necessarily, but a man, by the time he reaches his 50th birthday, part of his life work that he has to finish is carefully examining, what have I accomplished? Have I accomplished my goals? Because accomplishing goals are very much tied to self-respect, self-esteem, self-value. Now, part of what all of us as men have had to deal with is that most men do not ever accomplish their vision of greatness. And so they settle down into a life of comfortable ease. If that meant for you, you could take a beer and watch the football game, that was ease for you and made you not so conscious of your failure to provide what you would hope to provide for your family. Or, part of what happens when a man begins to get into his 60s is that he begins to travel. I've spoken with people who've been on 15 or 20 10-day cruises or 14-day cruises. Or talk with people who now have a select taste, and now they want to go the rivers of Europe or of China or of Russia on the small cruises that are much more luxurious. And somehow that tells a man, when I can pay $15,000 and take a cruise with my wife, I'm somebody. I want to tell you very bluntly and very kindly, Cruises are not the bread of life. Retiring in a retirement center, playing golf, that's not the bread of life. That's going someplace to enjoy the last days of your life before you cash out, before you die. 
Getting that job that you have always wanted to have? Getting that promotion that you wanted? That's not the bread of life. I know of one woman right now who needs to move. She has a son. She's very troubled. She doesn't know where she's going to go. Her her money is extremely low. She needs help. I'm very concerned for her. And I'm very concerned for her little son, a handsome little man. I'm concerned about a family who finally just said we're checking out of this whole deal. He does yard work. But they're extremely poor. Pagans. They don't know Jesus. They follow foolish myths. They need help. I could go on and on naming families that desperately need help. It's very troubling to me. But I want to tell you that not needing help or needing help is not the bread that will sustain your life. Jesus is actually the only bread that will save your life. It's either Jesus or the cardboard and filth of this world. There isn't any other source of life. All of the finery of life and all of the pit holes of life. It's not the bread of heaven. They argue with Jesus because they have a lifestyle. They have money. Listen, at this time, the Jews began to grumble about him because they said, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Oh, I listen to people talk. And they're so arrogant in what they think they know. And they'll argue their position with pride and arrogance. That's not the bread of life. There is no life in arguing your righteousness. There's no life in being right. I hear people judging others, saying cruel things. Oh, that person, they're wicked. They're a problem. You shouldn't even associate with them. Are you kidding me? Those were the very people Jesus associated with. What do you think you would have said had you seen Mary of Magdala in that beautiful downtown street that I've walked in Magdala in Israel, swishing her skirts with demons in her, seductive and beautiful, used by men. What would you have thought if you'd seen her looking at Jesus? Would you have said to Jesus, you better not even talk to that woman. She's a seductress. You'll be in trouble if you even look at her. And then you watch as Jesus goes to her, not heeding the warnings of his disciples or of anyone else, and casting demons out of her. And she goes off rejoicing, but she comes back. I doubt seriously that she went into the little synagogue in Magdala. I've been in that synagogue. It's beautiful. In that archaeological dig, the frescoes are sharp and clear on the walls. The beautiful floors made with the tiny little bits of color of tile. 
And you see it now. Jesus is teaching, sitting in the chair of Moses. And peeking around the corner is Mary of Magdala with another demon. And again, people are warning Jesus, don't talk to her. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? We make such wicked judgments of other people and we ostracize them and we cut them off. Jesus didn't do that. And finally, on that day when there was a banquet and this woman of ill repute comes in and she begins to weep over the feet of Jesus, She's beginning to kiss his feet and wipe his feet with her hair in Simon's house where he didn't even offer, this self-righteous man did not even offer the hospitality of washing Jesus' feet or kissing him on the cheek. But this woman can't stop kissing the feet of Jesus. Jesus didn't rebuke her. She broke open the expensive oil, perfume, nard, and poured it on him. Jesus didn't rebuke her. The disciples did in their self-righteousness. They hadn't learned yet. Jesus loved her. Jesus loved her. And he cast out the demons and he restored her to a clean, pure, right mind. And she stood at the cross when he was being crucified while the disciples ran away. She was fearless in her devotion to Jesus. She was prepared to die for him because he loved her. Jesus is the bread of life. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. I tell you the truth. He who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. I tell you the truth. Verse 53. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Have you grounded your weapons against Jesus? Have you made the decision to lay down your life for him? Have you made the decision to leave your sin, to stop sinning, else something worse will come upon you? Have you made the decision that you will eat only and feast only on the bread of life, on Jesus? Will you turn off your televisions? Will you turn off your movies? Will you turn off all of the videos? Will you come and eat of the bread of life? Will you confess your wicked ambitions? Will you confess your pride? Will you confess your cursing and your anger? And your bitterness? Have you been yelling 
screaming at your children, jerking them? Have you been screaming at your husband or your wife? Will you repent? Will you give up your life for Jesus Christ? This passage in Isaiah is so painful to me. I don't know how to even... I'll go back to it quickly for you. I don't know how to even begin to deal with it. Isaiah 26. Isaiah, the 26th chapter. The path of the righteous is level. The path of the one who eats of the broken body of Jesus is level. O upright one, you make the way of the righteous smooth. Yes, Lord, walking in you, in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. What is righteousness? It's just innocence before God. It's obeying his word. Even in a land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and regarding not the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted high. You do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Isaiah is the holy prophet of God. And he's crying out. He's saying, Lord, even though they see you, they will not accept you. See, the Lord is going to... This is chapter 24. See, the Lord is going to lay waste the earth and devastate it. He will ruin its face and scatter its inhabitants. The earth will be completely laid waste and totally plundered. The earth dries up and withers. The world languishes and withers. The exalted of the earth languish. The earth is defiled by its people. They have disobeyed the laws and violated the statutes. They have broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse consumes the earth. Its people must bear the guilt. Therefore earth's inhabitants are burned up and very few are left. The floodgates of heavens are open. The fountains of the earth shake. The earth is broken up. The earth is split asunder. The earth is thoroughly shaken. The earth reels like a drunkard. It sways like a hut in the wind. So heavy upon it is the guilt of its rebellion that it falls, never to rise again. In that day the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon. They will be shut up in prison. They will be punished after many days. The moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. For the Lord Almighty will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and therefore its elders gloriously. That's what's coming. I've been saying to you, these, these things that we're seeing, this coronavirus, don't let anybody tell you. It is a woe. It is a woe from the God of heaven on the wickedness of the earth and the wickedness of America. And we must turn and repent. Don't let the false prophets comfort your heart and say, God is good all the time. Trust him. Everything's going to work out. No, it's not going to work out. 
Not if you're walking in wickedness before him. Not if you're walking in sin before him. It's not going to work out. You're going to face the judgment fire. It's going to work out for those who have repented before God. Now, I want to be very specific with you. In the book of Ephesians, I want to read this for you. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. This is not God hardening their hearts. This is their sin that has hardened their hearts. And some of you that I'm speaking to today have hardened your hearts. You're so confident you know that you can continue sinning and still be saved. But listen to this. Ephesians. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That's what you saw at the Super Bowl in the halftime show, described right there in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way, Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, its desires for wickedness, its desires for the pleasures of wicked flesh, for pride and anger and bitterness. You were not taught that way by true disciples of Jesus. You were taught that you must be made new in the attitudes of your mind, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's Ephesians 4, verse 24. Look also at Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up according to their need, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, Anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God. Therefore, a dearly loved as children, live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. In other words, no more dirty jokes. They're out of place. But instead with thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure, no immoral impure, or greedy person. Such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. That's why it's said, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. William Tyndall, in his translation, puts it this way. Stand up from death, and Christ shall give you light. As I said to this dear brother last night, you're going to have to stand up. God's not going to stand you up. You've got to stand up and stop this cycle of sin. You've got to confess that you love your sin, and you love the darkness, and you love your pride, and you love being right. You love being angry. You love cursing got to confess this to God and say, Oh God, I'm a sinner. Take this from me. I give it to you. I release it to you, Jesus. I don't want it anymore. I want a new life. I eat the bread of heaven. I feast on the Lord Jesus. I read the word. I pray. I don't seek entertainment anymore. I seek heaven. Do you understand? This is where God is calling you. He's calling you to walk in righteousness. This virus that is so terrifying to so many people, it is a judgment of God on the wicked. It is a judgment of God on America for what we have done as we have murdered babies and walked in every kind of evil and every kind of wickedness. This is a judgment from God. Don't let anybody tell you it's not. It's a woe from heaven. And God is going to use that woe. Will you repent of your sin today? Will you get right with Jesus? Will you begin to praise and worship and honor him? I know so many Christians who when we come together to pray, they won't pray. It's like there's a hand over their mouth. Oh, you're going to have to let Jesus, feed you the bread of heaven and allow the love in your heart to gush out as he flows into you. It's not meant to stay in you. It's meant to gush out in great praise and worship and honor to our Jesus. Will you worship him today? Will you praise him? Will you honor the Lord? My brother, my sister, Will you honor the Lord? Well, we're almost out of time for this broadcast. Tomorrow is Friday. I normally do a pre-recorded broadcast. I'm going to be live tomorrow. I'm going to open the phone lines for you to call and testify and pray and share whatever experience you're walking through it's it's a time when you can call and repent or give testimonies it will be your time i'm going to preach i'm going to open the lines and i'm going to pray if you'd like to be a part tune in early Get out of yourself and get into Jesus. Give me Jesus when I come to die. Give me Jesus. I want the bread of life until I can eat no more. I want Jesus. 
I want Jesus. Do you? Join me tomorrow for a day of prayer for our nation, for our president, for our Congress, for the babies that are being murdered, even as the coronavirus is ravishing. Pray with me that God will put a stop to this and that men and women will repent and turn to Jesus. I'd love to hear from you. I need to hear from you. This is a faith ministry. If I'm going to be on next month, I need your help. And this week has been extremely slow. Not one person has written. I need to hear from you. Would you help me stay on the air to proclaim this straight word from the heart of God? You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22191. I'm sorry, 22195. 22195. Now you can also go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. I want to thank all of you who prayed for Brother Ed. He is still a little weak, but he is recovering rapidly. I praise God for this dear brother who does all of our IT work and who edits all of our broadcasts. He has been very faithful to Jesus, and Jesus is faithful to him. Thank you for your prayers for Brother Ed. Please continue remembering him. Now let's pray. Almighty God, I pray the bread of heaven will be enough for every person listening to this broadcast. I pray, Lord, that we will turn aside from everything of darkness and feast on you alone, satisfying our hunger not with things of the of the devil, but instead satisfying our hunger with your word, with you. Lord, thank you. Would you bless each person who has listened? Would you encourage them to take a stand for you today, Jesus? And would you encourage those who are faithful before you? And would you feed them the bread of life? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I love you. God bless you, my brother and sister. Falling and to present you blameless before the presence of